Thank you, Cecily. Thank you, Cecily, so much. I, what the Chapel Kids staff do here is just amazing. Thank you for your, doing your part as parents, grandparents, guardians, aunts and uncles. Uh, it's so important that we raise our children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. We want to help with that. So good to be with you. My wife and I were away for a couple weekends visiting our own, one of our, one of our sons in Boston. And then uh, last weekend I was in Port Clinton, the previous weekend at our Norwalk campus. Just, it's always good to be here. And, um, and it's good to be with you. We're, we're studying the, the book of Ephesians. If you're watching online, please turn in your Bible or grab your phone or whatever and uh, follow along. Um, before we get into Ephesians, I wanted to talk about football. Just, and I'm going to actually reference football several times in this message. So if you're a sports fan, you're in luck today. Um, you know, growing up, and the Browns have an amazing game this afternoon, but I want to talk about the Buckeyes for a moment. Growing up, my, my family, I mean, we, we just, everybody in our family went to Ohio State, and um, so the, the lineage is pure. We just are Buckeye fans, and my parents trained us kids to, to cheer for two teams, Ohio State and whoever's playing Michigan. So yesterday was a great day because Ohio State won, Michigan lost, and uh, anyways, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, uh, I'll just show you a, a picture. Uh, my dad, I mean, we had a Michigan neighbor. He flew his flag all the time, and my dad planted a Buckeye tree in his yard. Who does that? And then in the early 70s, my dad designed the first Ohio State flag, which we fly every, every week. Uh, my, my sister's three boys have been Brutus Buckeye. Actually, one right now is Brutus Buckeye. We wear the Ohio State gear. I didn't wear it today. I should have. Um, and uh, we play Ohio State marching band fight song music in our home, and it's obnoxious. So, you know, I, I need to, you know, I, I come from the lineage of Buckeyes. I, I better live worthy of the name Buckeye. Now, that's on a lighter side. Let me get a little bit more profound with you. Um, so, I have a t-shirt with the chapel logo on it, and I have a jacket with the chapel logo on it. In fact, I think in a couple of weeks we're opening our chapel store again so we can purchase things like that. And maybe that would interest you, so stay tuned for that. But the other day, someone gave me a, uh, a bumper sticker with the chapel logo on it. I, on my car, I don't have anything that, like a Jesus sticker or a religious sticker or you know, the, any sticker that identifies me with my church. And I, I think it's because I'm afraid if I do something stupid in traffic, I don't want people associating uh, my stupidity with my faith or with... <laughs> my church. On the other hand, it's probably a good idea because it would introduce some accountability and keep me from doing those stupid things in traffic. I don't know. You, you, would, you would probably agree that whether you have a, a logo, a chapel logo, or a, a, a faith logo on your jacket, or, or if people clearly know you're a Christian, then then it, it's really important that we are consistent with what we believe, that we live a life worthy of the name Christian. And that's where we're going today. How do we live worthy of the name Christian? When I was a brand new believer, I started opening, I opened the Bible for the very first time in the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John. And it didn't take me very long until I got to chapter 2 and I came across these words, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I mean, that's just the that's just that addresses the issue of hypocrisy. If you say you believe, then live like you believe. 
Well, this weekend we aren't going through 1 John, we're going through the letter of Ephesians, and we come to Ephesians chapter 4, and that's really where now Paul, through chapters 4, 5, and 6, shows us how, how do you live out a life that's consistent with what you believe, right? Um, so before we get to chapter 4, I want, I just let me give you a, a little background, just a brief context. Uh, in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, like he does in some of his other letters, he spends the first half of his letter talking about sort of uh, uh, doctrinal things. He, he builds a case for, uh, he, he sort of develops the theological foundation. He helps us understand what is doctrinally true, what Christians believe, what we should believe about Christ, what we should believe about ourselves, what we should believe about connecting with God through Christ. That's the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then you get to chapter 4, 5, and 6, and now it's like, this is how you live out what you say you believe. This is how you live out your faith in reality. And so we've come to chapter 4. And chapter 4 begins with this word, therefore, which means for this reason, because of. Because of all these things in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is how you are to live, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Today we begin chapter 4. Therefore, because, by God's sheer grace, you have been saved through faith in Christ and been brought into the family of God. Therefore, because you are now part of the, the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, ruled by God. Therefore, because... You are in the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, united together. Therefore, because you are individual stones in the house of God with Christ as the chief cornerstone. Therefore, because we can ask God for all that we ask or think. Those are all things he addresses in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, because all of that is true. And then Paul continues with the very first verse in chapter 4. Therefore... I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, he was an actual prisoner in jail in Rome, writing to the letter, writing to the church in Ephesus. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. He says, I beg you to lead a life. In, in another version of the Bible, the words go like this. I, I urge you to walk. In the Christian life, Paul says, there is no such thing as stagnation. There should not be. Today, when Nick Chubb and the Browns beat the Steelers, it will largely be because Nick Chubb keeps moving. Watch his legs. He, it's like he's churning butter. He keeps, keeps moving forward. And that's how he gains so much yardage. That was not a, like a prophetic word. I just That's hopeful. And Paul is saying in the Christian life, sometimes it's going to be three steps forward, three yards forward, two steps, two yards back. But just keep moving. Churn that butter. Keep those legs moving. Keep moving forward. There's no such thing as stagnation in the Christian life. There should not be. And then Paul goes on to say, I beg you to lead a, a life worthy of your calling. The word worthy is an interesting word. It, it, it means equal in the sense of your life should have, um, you know, maybe you've heard the term, a worthy adversary, Right? A worthy adversary, somebody who is equal to you. Well, what Paul is referring to here is that we should have an equal amount of what we believe, chapters 1, 2, and 3, 4, 5, and 6. This is how you live it out, equal. But, but the idea of worthy also means the idea of becoming. 
It's related. You've had it said to you or you've said it to somebody else, that sure is becoming of you. Or that looks so attractive on you. Or that looks good on you. What is Paul saying? He's saying, it looks so good on you. You look so attractive when you live out in reality what you say you believe. And then he finishes by saying, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Every now and then you'll hear somebody say, I found God. I found Jesus. And I know what they, I know what they mean, but in reality... It is God who has called that person. If you are a Christ follower, God has called you. He has called you into his family. But it doesn't stop there. God is calling you to a life of Christ-likeness. When you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you. I'll refer to that a couple times in this message. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And a primary job of the Holy Spirit is to shape the character of Christ within us over time. So, keep moving. Live a life worthy. Walk worthy of the name Christian because that is your calling. But what does that look like specifically? What does a, what does a life worthy of the name Christian look like? And that's where Paul takes us in chapters 4, 5, and 6. We only have time for chapter 4 today. So what we're going to look at are several things that Paul says that reflect a worthy life. And the first thing that Paul gets at is this. Leading a life worthy means being committed to unity. And this is what he writes. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. We'll leave this passage on the screen for a few moments. When, when my wife and I were uh, getting ready to be married, we were going through pre-marriage counseling, and the pastor spent almost his entire time walking us through chapter 4. And the reason is because chapter 4 is all about how you arrive at oneness. Now, when my wife and I said I did to each other, in God's eyes, we, we, we became one. We became one. But there's a difference between being one and experiencing oneness. There's a difference between being united and experiencing unitedness. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's like you are united in Christ. You are united with each other. Chapter 4, this is what it looks like to be United, And so my wife and I took, well, back on the screen, we, we took seriously that it's important to be humble and gentle, isn't it? Any relationship, to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, making every effort to keep yourself united in this spirit. It takes effort to be united. Now I'm going to take a minute here. I'm going to brag for a minute. So a couple years ago, I was, I was uh, here on high school is where I graduated from, and they have an athletic hall of fame. A couple years ago, I was inducted into this hall of fame. Just look at me. You can tell I probably was. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm joking, and actually, I'm not telling you the full truth. In reality, I was inducted with an entire team of players. One of my coworkers looked at this picture and said, is this from like 1901? Did, they, did, you, did you wear leather helmets back then? 
And uh, it was a fantastic team. In fact, the year before, the team was 10-0. and 0. It, was, it was incredible to be a part of this team. Now, there I am in number 35. Eventually, I became 86. But that's me, believe it or not, with hair. And, you know, I look like all the other guys. But in reality, I was never really very good in football. I didn't really like to be hit, and I didn't like to hit people, which makes a terrible football player. But I will say this, that I went to every practice. I participated in every two-a-day drill. I did all of the drills. They gave me a number. They gave me a uniform. They put me on the team, which means you're looking at a Hall of Famer. It was a fantastic team. We were united. We were one. But I'll tell you what. We were committed to being one, to making things work. It takes work. It takes effort to be united. You've got to be committed to this idea of unity. When, 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 when you placed your faith in Christ, if you have, you were brought onto a team of equals. I, I like to think of it like this, that we at the chapel, we're united. We are a team. We are a family. We are a church. We are one. And I love it that we don't, uh, I mean, we, we do. We, we, we celebrate others, but we try to discourage a culture of celebrities. We, we don't have celebrities. We're all one. We're, we're, we're together. And so we work hard at this church, at this, in this local church. We work hard at, at, at being one and experiencing oneness. Uh, maybe you know the words of Paul to the, to, the, to the Romans where he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Or he writes to the, he writes to the Philippians, think of others as more important than yourself. That's a spirit of humility. That's, a, that, that, that's the kind of thing that it takes to move from just being one, just being united to experiencing oneness and unitedness. And in reality, as a church, we're going to drop the ball at times. We're going to make mistakes at times. But like what Paul writes to the Ephesians, we need to make allowance for each other's faults. And we get up, and we move our legs, and we keep moving until Christ comes again. That's, that's the spirit of a church that's committed to unity. Now, Paul goes on and helps us understand a little bit more of what it's like to live worthy of the name Christian. He says, leading a life worthy means doing my part. This is what he writes. However, he has given, us, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. He makes the whole body, the whole church, fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We'll leave that up there just for a few moments. Now, what Paul does is single out some, some jobs, some positions that were uh, uh, present in that early church. He talks about apostles. That's not a term we use 
here, but it just means to be sent. Those were probably the missionaries in the church. And then he talks about prophets. They, they handled the, the word of God in a way that somehow distinguished them from the teachers of the word of God. He talks about evangelists. They were the ones who uh, were in charge of leading the, leading the charge of proclaiming Christ. And then you had the pastors, the, the, the shepherds of the church. Those are some of the jobs in the church. And God equipped people to do those particular jobs. The same is true today. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, as I said before, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit comes to live within a person. He opens our eyes spiritually, of course. He gives new birth. Uh, over time, he begins to build within us what are called the spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. But God's Spirit also equips us to do our part. Now, it would be, uh, um, it would be important for each of us to ask, well, what is my part in the, in the local church? What, what part, how has God equipped me? Um, sometimes in different classes we offer here at the church, but also on our website, we direct people to what's called a spiritual gifts survey. Sometimes it's called a spiritual gifts test or a spiritual gifts inventory. Maybe you've taken one before, but if not, it would be really interesting for you to do that to see how God has gifted you, how God has equipped you. And here's a link. You can uh, mark that down now, uh, but I'll also show it at the very end of the message because I think it's important. But I will say this, I don't think it's going to tell you anything you don't already know. Spiritual gifts is kind of a hard thing to teach, and we don't have a lot of time to go through it. A list of the spiritual gifts in Scripture are mentioned like in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. And um, typically, you know, it, it, God's not going to give you a miraculous gift you never had before usually, I think, is that simply God just takes the, the things you're already naturally good at, and now you use them to help advance the kingdom of heaven through the agency of his church. Now, let me just simplify it for you. Peter, in his letter, his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, he breaks all of these gifts down into just the two categories. There are serving gifts, and there are speaking gifts. Some people just don't want to speak in front of others. They don't want to teach. They don't, they don't need to be up front. They don't need any of that. They just want to serve behind the scenes with their hands, with their minds, just being there, just getting things done. Would you say you are more of a server or more of a, a speaker? L let me just simplify it for you even more as we think through how do we, what is my part? I think a, a great question I learned years ago is simply, this. What do you love to do? Now do it for Jesus. I, God has uniquely designed each one of us. We have, we have different passions. We have different abilities. We have different personalities. We have different experiences. We have different education, both formal and informal. All of that makes us who we are. Now, what do I love to do? And how can I do that for Jesus? Just within this church, within the chapel, we have so many things that we want to do and can do. But it all rests on the shoulders of those who are doing their part. 
How can you do your part? I'd love to talk to you about that. Paul goes on, gives us a, a third idea of, of what it looks like to be worthy of the name Christian. We've already talked about being committed to unitedness, doing our part, but the third thing that he gets at is this. Leading a life means treating others differently. This is what he writes. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When a person accepts Christ into their life, the Holy Spirit gives a new nature to that person. And over time, over time, <laughs> the Spirit's job is to create within us a Christ-like character. And included in that will be treating people differently than we did before. In other words, I'm going to now treat you, hopefully, the way Jesus would treat you if Jesus were me. Hopefully, you would treat me as Jesus would treat me if Jesus were you. We're called to treat people differently. So Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he gives them six pictures of what it's like to treat others differently. Here we go. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Telling the truth is important. You'd agree with that. You tell your kids that. Telling the truth is important. But sometimes that's hard. The, the, the book of Proverbs I'm thinking of is, is called the book of wisdom. And in this book of wisdom, there are many references to speaking the truth because such a, such a big part of, of keeping the community whole and being committed to unitedness, speaking the truth. Speaking the truth cuts both ways. There's two sides to that coin. There's speaking the truth truth to somebody i think of one proverb in chapter in proverbs 27 it says it says uh, open rebuke is better than hidden love that means i should say something if i if i'm seeing something hearing something feeling something from you i should say something otherwise i'm not loving you i'm withholding the truth from you and therefore i'm keeping you from getting better there's another side to truth and that is hearing the truth i think of I think of a number of places in Proverbs that says if you're, if you're resisting the truth, if, you're resi if somebody comes to you and is speaking the truth in love with grace. In Proverbs 12, verse 1, it says, those who reject correction are stupid. That's exactly what it says. Interesting. So there's speaking the truth, that's wisdom, hearing the truth. So Paul goes on, though. He says this. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger is a, is a, a legitimate human emotion and an important human emotion. Sometimes we can go off the rails. How do we keep from doing that? One of the, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard, one of the best principles to live by, is let's get angry about the things that make God angry. Usually that's going to be related to injustice, um, I think of Jesus getting angry in, in the temple. Of course, uh, that may come to your mind as well. And was it, 
he was angry about people exchanging money? No. The money exchangers were keeping people from worshiping God, and that is what made Jesus angry. It was an issue of injustice. So it's okay to get angry over the right things, but even if it's right anger or wrong anger, it's important that we not let that anger stay in us and fester. I, w- I was thinking of uh, you know, Colin Powell, the, the former Secretary of State and other positions. He just recently died, I think it was last week, wrote a book, and in one of his books, he mentions 13 principles to live by. One of the principles is get angry and get over it. He said, you know, everybody remembers the angry guy in the room. But there's an added problem to having ongoing anger, and it's this. Paul says that we give the devil a foothold, and we give the devil the opportunity then to roll us right from our anger into resentment and into uh, uh, unforgiveness. So Paul goes on, treating others differently. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. I would imagine in this room we don't have any hardened thieves, although I, have not, I don't know your story. But I would imagine we have some good hard workers here in this room. The question is, do we have some generous hard workers in this room? It's important to be generous. That's what Paul says. It's important to be generous. It's, it's, it's really um, it's a thrill being at a church that's concerned about being benevolent. We have a benevolent fund here where we try to help people within our church and even people in the community who come and express needs. We try to do that with wisdom and, 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 and do it carefully. But the only reason we can do that is because the church, you, are generous with your funds. So thank you for that. Work hard. Be generous. Don't steal. That's what Paul says. Um, by the way, if you're looking for an opportunity to be generous, in, in, the, in the lobby we have those, uh, those shoe boxes. But if you don't have a, a, the opportunity to, to shop for a shoe box, there's a little card on the table out there. I brought one with me. It just says, uh, don't have time? <laughs> and somebody will actually do the shopping for you. And that, that box will be shipped to somebody around the world. A kid will open it and be blessed because of your generosity. Thank you for that. Paul goes on. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I, this is in the New Living Translation. Years ago, during our counseling time, my, my wife and I, we were going through pre-marriage counseling, I learned it in the New International Version. It goes like this. Do not let any unwholesome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Or give grace to those who listen. The word, do not let any unwholesome, the word unwholesome, in, in, the, Greek, in, the, Greek word, in the Greek language, Jesus uses that very same word in the Gospel of Matthew to refer to rotten, dead fish. So what Paul is saying is, don't throw rotten, dead fish at each other. Instead, look for ways to build people up rather than to tear them down. A very common thing, especially in social media these days. How can I build somebody up? Paul goes on. Now, this is not a a human person. This is another kind of person, the third person of the Trinity, as we think about treating others differently. 
Paul says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. Guarantee that you will be saved on the day of redemption. As a Christ follower, you as a Christ follower, we are, we are knitted together by God's Spirit. We are in the same family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, when I, when I throw unwholesome talk around, when I tear you down, I am injuring the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. I bring sorrow. I bring grief to God. So, treat others differently. There's one last thing that Paul ends with, and it's this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And that brings us to the very end of chapter 4. There's much more to come in chapter 5 and 6. But what a fitting way to come to the end of chapter 4, this issue of forgiveness, which is so difficult, so hard for so many. But how fitting. If we don't forgive each other, how do we stay united? How do we walk worthy of the name Christian? Because when we forgive each other, we give proof, we give proof that we get it. That we get it, that I I have actually been forgiven by God through Christ. I have actually experienced the grace of God through Christ. I, I am loved so deeply by God through Christ that he has forgiven me. What would keep me from forgiving you? And i got to tell you, I'm going to drop the ball at times. I'm going to fumble. You'll be disappointed in me. And there will be times where I may be disappointed in you. And you'll be disappointed with someone near you. Show that you get it. That we are united in Christ, we are united with each other, and we can forgive each other just as in God, Christ has forgiven us. So, chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is what we believe is true. We are united in Christ and we are united with each other. Now, let's be worthy of the name Christian and be committed to that unitedness. Let's find, what our, find out what our part is and do it so we can help build each other up. And let's treat each other in ways that Jesus would treat each of us. Let me close with some challenging questions. Am I committed to unity? Why or why not? That's in your own heart between you and God. How has God enabled me to do my part? I told you I would show you that website again. If you want to go, if you're interested in knowing how God has equipped you to do your part, check that out. And then finally, what is one step I could take this week to treat those in my church, in my family, on my team, differently? Based upon what Paul said. Read through chapter 4. Just let it sink into your life as we strive for oneness. Let's pray together. And now, God, thank you for your word and uh, for the truthfulness of it, for who we are in Christ, that you have torn down the dividing wall between any of us. We are on uh, the ground of equals before the cross of Christ. Help us to be the kind of teammates with each other we need, to be the kind of church you've called us to be, worthy of the name 
Christ follower. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.